Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you and praise you. We love you so much. We trust you. And Lord, we give this morning just to you, everything to you. I thank you for the time of worship. I know it was pleasing to your ears. It literally binds our hearts together and with you. I thank you for that. I pray that for the entire bride, that one day she will know that, as the remnant knows it now. Father, I ask that you speak your words through me. Do not allow any of my own. I give you my mouth in Jesus' name. Bring clarity to those who would receive clarity. Allow confusion to those who would not seek you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I am going to talk about this week and obviously what happened on Tuesday, but I'm not going to begin with that because I don't want to get dovetailed here. You know when... I don't know if you're like me. Um, growing up, the way I did, it was it was things that you did that helped define your life. Things that you grab hold of, that you receive, that you enjoy in your life. For me, and, and this might resonate with some people here, I, I had a life verse, for instance. And that life verse became my life verse very early in life. I, I wish I could remember when, but I want to say it was somewhere around grade school. Might, might have been middle school, but I, I think it was around grade school. And it was Psalm 27.4, one thing have I desired that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in, in his temple. And you can imagine just in me quoting that, that, at that time in my life, I was, I was in the King James. <laughs> I, like my wife, like to memorize in the King James even now. Maybe it's because that's what I was used to as a child. Or, but it's more than that. There, there is a certain poetic reference to the King James that, that's just very special to me. But it wasn't just a life verse that, that helped to mold me that, that I clung to, and, and I know everybody in here is going to understand and, and probably think back in your own lives the other things that impacted your life, like music. Music played a big part in my life. I remember growing up early on liking things that most of my friends didn't like. Now, I'm not old enough to say that that's when rock and roll came around, but it was fairly new. Okay, there were new pieces of rock and roll coming around, and all my friends were, were into that and, and, and all of that. And I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it, I did. But I had very odd things that I really enjoyed, like Pierre Gint. And 99% of you are like, who's he? Who? It's not a person. Pierre Gant is classical music. And, but there was one song. There was one song that grabbed hold of me like nothing else did. Again, I, I believe I was in, in grade school. I can't remember exactly when it was. I, I might have been, I'm going to guess, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, somewhere around in there. My mom might be able to answer this better than me, but, but this song grabbed my heart, not because it sounded cool. It, it actually sounded kind of fuddy-duddy, although if you like classical, then I guess it would make sense. But it was the words. I'm really curious in here. 
How many know the song, The Impossible Dream? Okay, about five of you, six of you. <laughs> the, the youngest person to know what that is is Peter. Where is everybody else on this? Come on. Okay. <laughs> You're farther to my left. I didn't see you. But The Impossible Dream, it came out of a play. It came out of what happens to be my favorite play, Man of La Mancha. Don Quixote. You guys have heard that name, right? Don Quixote. And I loved this play because I loved what Don Quixote meant. And if you're not familiar with it or you're just familiar with it on the surface, then much like other things in the Bible that you read just on the surface, you miss Everything about that play. See, that play is not about some psychotic guy who thinks he's a knight that goes out to fight these, you know, fake knights or fake uh, giants that are windmills, if, if you know the story at all. He fights these windmills. Um, but what it really was, was a man who followed his convictions because he believed. Believed so much that he literally changed the lives around him to see the truth as he saw the truth. So this song became very special in my life from early on. And I was listening to it this week. The Lord had... You know, I, I sometimes when I'm in my car, I'll I'll, uh, I'll put my my phone just on shuffle, and this song pops up. I think that's how it came up because I don't believe I pulled it up, and just started listening to it. It tore me up again. I want to read you the words. You're going to understand why it tore me up. Now, in explaining this before I read it, I want you to understand that this is not a Christian song. But yet you're going to see how it is. What he talks about when he says to go after that star, that unreachable star, I want you to understand in my mind what I am looking at is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. To go after them. To make a difference with my life way beyond the capability of my life. Let me read it to you. To dream the impossible dream. To fight the unbeatable foe. To bear the unbearable sorrow. To run where the brave dare not go. To right the unrightable wrong. To be better far than you are. To try when your arms are too weary to reach the unreachable star. This is my quest to follow that star. Now again, remember who the star is to me. This is my quest to follow that star, no matter how hopeless, no matter how far. To fight for the right, without question or pause. To be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. And I know if I'll only be true to this glorious quest, that my heart will be peaceful and calm. When laid to my rest. And the world would be better for this. That one man, scorned and covered with scars, still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable star. That's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. When he came down and became a man, he came down to plow a pathway for you and for me. 
See, that star is not unreachable for me. It's not unreachable for you. Because Jesus already plowed the way. But it does cost. It costs with every ounce of sorrow. It costs when your arms are too weary. When your faith is strained to the edge of being broken. There is a cost in reaching intimacy with Him. That cost is everything. Everything that we are. We are not to hold anything back. Nothing. See, we can't because it costs Jesus and the Father everything. How could it cost us any less? I want to encourage you to listen to that song sometime. To dream the impossible dream. See, it's not so impossible. It's not so impossible to live everything for Him. It's not so impossible because Jesus already showed the pathway for it. He already showed us how. We don't have to fight the same foe that He fought. Because He already defeated that foe. All we have to do is we have to take His hand. And we have to receive what He has for our lives. He said He'll never put us through anything we can't handle. But I promise you, He will stretch your faith. He will stretch you in the very thing that pleases Him, which is faith. The bride right now is being stretched. Being stretched even to the, to the point of breaking. That's actually the point. He is bringing a separation in the bride. He has been for a long time. Every cut that goes deeper is a deeper separation. And you're seeing it all over. After Tuesday, when Biden was sworn in, you started to see the apologies even come out more and more. Sorry, I wasn't hearing from God. I said that, you know, blah, 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 whatever they say. If you didn't hear from God, then apologize. If you jumped on some sort of bandwagon because it felt right and you wanted to be right, then ask forgiveness. But if you heard from God, stick with it. Stay with it. Unless he tells you something different, you are to walk the path that he tells you to walk. I can tell you for myself. For here in ignition, he has not told us anything different. I can confidently say, and there's precedence to this with four years ago, Joe Biden is not my president. He is not. He may have been sworn in, he may sit in the Oval Office, but he is not my president. Why? Because I don't choose him to be my president? No, it's not my choice. Because the Lord said he's not. It's as simple as that. The Lord said he is not. I don't know how it will come to pass. I don't know what will fall into place for this to be true. But what I can tell you, when we look back in history... At whatever point it is, we will not see a history of Joe Biden as president. We will not. 
I'd love to know how God's going to do that. He hasn't told me. He hasn't told anyone. In fact, what he did say to me was that he was going to do something new that's never been seen and never even been prophesied. I don't even know what that means. Because that's a lot of things. Things that have been prophesied. A lot of things. And, and, and I hate to even try and guess what it is because then that means it's prophesying and, and I don't want to be that. Because then it won't be true. Fact of the matter is, it'll be God. It'll be only God. It will be God's hand that does this. It will be God's hand that readies his bride. And by the way, let me make something very clear. We are not going through the tribulation. I've said it before. Because this is not judgment on the world. This is judgment. But it is judgment on his bride. Judgment always falls on the bride first. There will come a time where the earth is judged for the sake of Israel. If you want to know all about it, dive in to Revelation, dive into Daniel, dive in just about every book of the Bible talks about it. Isaiah. What's harder to understand is the foreshadowing of what that means, and that is the judgment on the bride. To bring and make the bride ready for him. Jesus is not going to come and take his bride home because we are so pathetic that we need him. It's like we can't get any worse. He is not going to let us get any worse. Let me go down and get them before they get worse. That's pathetic. That's not a bride he even deserves. And that's not the bride that he's going to get. The bride he is going to get is a readied bride. A bride that is so immeasurably in love with him, in sync with him, in unity with him, and in unity with each other. See, that's where we have the problem. Because right now, the bride is not even close to unified. However, there is a remnant that is all over the world. They don't even know each other. I'm speaking this and, and one who is remnant, who is unified with Jesus Christ in relationship with him will resonate with what is being said here today. Not because they're my words, but because they come from the Father. But see, there will come a time when we are ready and he comes to get us. In fact, what the Lord has laid on my heart this morning to talk about is an encouragement to that remnant. Why do we believe what we believe? Where does it say that in the word of God? How do we know that this is not just the end and we're moving into the, into the tribulation and just all is lost and God may as well come back. It's because it's what he said. He said it in his word. He didn't just say it to us. He didn't just say it to his remnant all over the world. He has said it in his word. I want to walk you through that a little bit this morning. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as we get going in this, I want to share something with you that the Father said to me back on April 10th. I was looking through my journal and I was asking the Father about the ten days of darkness and what this darkness means. And, and it's funny how sometimes the Lord will give an answer that has nothing to do with the question. He does that a lot. <laughs> I mean, read the Gospels. Jesus did that a lot. 
He would give them an answer that there was so much more depth to that, to that answer. They just had to be kind of scratching their head like, what in the world did you just do? That's what it was when he answered this question back on April 10th. But it means way more to me now. And I think it will mean more to you as well. On April 10th, I, I'd asked the Lord about that, but his answer was about something else. He said this, They will see, but not see. They will hear, but not hear. Each of you will be tempted to abandon everything you have been told. First of all, when it's talking about they, they will see, but not see. They will hear, but not hear. It's talking about the bride. This is, again, this is, not, this is not about the world. Judgment begins with the bride. God's justice begins with his bride. In his bride they will see, but they will not see. They will hear, but they will not hear. See, without relationship with him, you are incapable of hearing. But it's the next part that gripped me so tightly. Talking about his remnant, those in relationship with you, or with him, he said, each of you will be tempted to abandon everything you have been told. Boy, it sure feels like that time can be right now. Because it's opposite of everything he has told us. Where it looks like the enemy has won. And I'm not talking about Joe Biden as the enemy. It is what is behind Joe Biden. It is what is behind Kamala Harris. It is what is behind that administration. It is what is behind what we may call the deep state. Those people trying to change the core values, not just of this country, but of the world. Everything looks opposite of what we have expected from the Lord. Everything. That's why he warned us ahead of time. That's why he reminded me even of this this week. And I looked it up. He said, you're going to be tempted to not believe everything that I have said. You know the beauty of temptation? It could be resisted. It could be resisted. In fact, when we resist, the devil must flee. When we make that decision and say, no, Satan, you are a liar. You will not tempt me not to listen to my father he has to leave. And like I've said a hundred times to you guys, if he doesn't, go tell dad. Father, he's, he's not leaving. I've resisted this temptation and he's not leaving. Then dad takes care of it. But nevertheless, it is there for a reason where he says we're going to be tempted to not believe everything he's told us. Why? Because it looks opposite. It looks opposite. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, starting there, says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Let me, let me tell you something, first of all. Because this can be a real confusing part unless you have this part straight. The kingdom of God is accessible here on this earth. It is accessible here. Kingdom of God is not when we finally get to heaven to be with Jesus. The kingdom of God is what Jesus Brought to this earth through his death, burial, and resurrection. 
access to it comes only through him, through Jesus. But it's not just in salvation. You don't access the kingdom of God by just accepting Jesus Christ into your your heart. That is your passport, though. Those are your qualifying papers, if you will. You must have that to even be able to move forward with it, which is relationship with Jesus Christ. See, what he spins in that relationship is trying to get us to understand what I've said before, that this world in which we live is not the real reality. But there's so much more. There's so much more to that reality, good and bad, by the way. Angels, demons, forces of heaven, forces of hell. They're far beyond what we see, but yet they're right here. The same as heaven. <laughs> kind of when we think of heaven, we can't kind of think of it out, out beyond at the end of the stars somewhere. You know, at the end of the galaxy somewhere, you know, there's probably a fence line. And, and, then, and then we cross over and we go into heaven. So it's like way out there. Couldn't be more wrong. And those who understand quantum physics understand the truth of what I'm saying, that heaven is right here. Not in this realm. (laughs) Heaven is not what you make it. But God is not subject to the three dimensions and time that we are subject to. He is in all dimensions. Heaven is in all dimensions. So to pursue him in relationship is exactly what it said here in 1 Corinthians verse 50, where it says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, verse 51, I tell you a mystery. Well, I love and Paul. Paul even said, I believe it was in Ephesians, that, that he was so thankful that God allowed him to reveal this mystery. Because he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And the, the mystery was about the Gentiles. And about the fact that, that in this mystery, all of us became one. That there was, there was no separation between different Walks of life, if you will, different color, different gender, different whatever. We are all the same in Jesus Christ. He died for all of us. He didn't die for me any more than he died for you. He didn't die for me any less than he died for you. He died for us the same. He sees us the same. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That that word sleep there, understand, that's talking about physical death. Okay, we shall not all physically die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Let's go back here a second. He said in verse 51, second part, he said, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. So there's something very specific that happens here. He talked about even this physical change that we go through in that moment. This isn't a process. Understand, this is a moment. How do I know that? Because it says, in the twinkling of an eye. Do you know what the twinkling of an eye is? It's, it's, no, it's not a wink. It's, it's kind of when you're, you're looking at someone and the eye catches, or, or the sun catches their eye and you get this little twinkle. That's what a twinkle of an eye is. 
It's, it's literally the sun or, or some sort of light bouncing off of the, what is that, the retina? Or whatever the back piece is. Huh? The back piece. We'll just, that's the official name we'll call it right now. But bottom line is, it's like that. It's fast. It's before you could even see it. The twinkling of an eye. These things change. This change happens from this world to the next. Where this perishable body becomes imperishable. See, one of the beauties of asking Jesus Christ into our heart is we have the promise of one day having a glorified body. Right? That glorified body, what is that? That's the imperishable body. Now, some will die, some will go to sleep, as Paul talks about here, or die, and then they receive their glorified body as they go to be with Christ immediately. But it says here, there will be some that it happens when they're alive, because they will not sleep, they will not die. There will be, in, the, in, in a split second, the twinkling of an eye, this thing will happen. Right? And we could turn to other, other uh, passages on that. That's not my point here. My point is that it is talking about the rapture. Where Jesus Christ comes and gets his bride. She is ready. He comes to get her and take her to be with him. That's what this is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. But there's a clue here as to the timing of that. It's really quite fascinating. What's it say? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. You know, I grew up thinking, well, that means that there are trumpets. And we go. And that may be the case, but that's not the trumpet that it's talking about. I want you to turn to Revelation. We're going to see what trumpet that's talking about. It says the last trumpet. Now, in Revelation, you have several judgments. You have the seven seals, which turn into the seven trumpets, which turn into the seven bowls. And in between each transition, you have other things that go on. Really, the, the, the build-up, how, how uh, Revelation is laid out architecturally is really fascinating because it's the same each time. You have, you have six, like in the first case, the six seals. Then you have this period where it talks about other stuff. Then it talks about the, the seven, seven seal. Then from there, that opens up to the seven trumpets. You have six, then you have this break. Then it talks about the seventh trumpet. Then it goes into the seven Bowls and so forth, so on. For right now, we're talking about the trumpets because Paul said in the seventh trumpet, this will happen. So let's go see what the seventh trumpet is. By the way, and for those of you who, who uh, remember this, I preached on this, I want to say a year and a half ago, on the three woes. This is the third woe. Just to answer a quick question, why is it a woe? When we think of a woe, we think of something negative. We think of something bad. We think of judgment. And that's true. Understand what's going on here in Revelation is judgment of the world. And what happens in the third woe is a woe to this world. Believe me. It is a woe to this world. But let's see what it is. Revelation chapter 11, we're going to start at verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. When the angel blows the trumpet, that twinkling of an eye, that happens. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, 
we give thanks. And as, as I go into this, I want you to understand something before I go any further. The 24 elders represent the body of Christ. They represent the bride, the ready bride. How do I know that? There's one thing that's very explicit in evidence, and that is that they share something in common that only children of God share. Only those who are saved. This is not talking about Jews. Jews are included if they've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. But only three types in the Bible are kings and priests. You have Jesus Christ, who is a king and a priest. That's what he's called. You have Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest. Who in reality was probably a theophany, a early, early showing of Jesus Christ. But then you have these people called the 24 elders. They're also called kings and priests. Then Paul talks about his God's children, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. We are kings and priests. That's why we are the temple of God. God dwells inside us. We are priests of that. But we are also supposed to be rulers in this world. We are kings and priests. So the 24 elders represent the bride. They sit on their thrones before God. Recognize here, it doesn't mean those thrones are in heaven. Or just heaven. Because it is quite probably both. They have thrones in heaven before God in the spirit. But they have authority here on earth. I'll show you why. They start to give a history lesson of what had happened with the bride up to that point where that seventh trumpet is sounded. They said, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged. But your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints. And those who fear your name, both small and great. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. That word there, destroyers, is not talking simply about the enemy in physical form in this on this earth. It is talking about Satan and his forces. So what they're saying here in the seventh trumpet is that you have been faithful, Father, in destroying the destroyers that have come against your children. Then at that point, God's temple in heaven was opened. This, uh, this was a, a, a vision out of time that John was seeing. I'm sorry, not a vision, but this was what he was seeing it happen, being outside of time. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. The ark of his covenant was seen within the temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. I just, not that it matters, I just happen to believe that last sentence was a reaction of that twinkling of an eye. Because see, all of creation is groaning to see the sons of God revealed. They're groaning. Creation is groaning. So the sons of God are going to be revealed. It will bring a healing to this nation. God is doing something new. And I think when they are taken, that's the reaction that creation gives because they're taken. Perhaps because creation knows what's coming. Because there will be a judgment on this world for the sake of Israel. But understand, 
that what is being pictured here in this seventh trumpet is absolute victory over the enemy. Absolute victory. We know in the thousand year reign of Christ that Satan will, he will be bound and cast for a thousand years, right? We know that. But what of this mystery? What of the mystery that we are in, this foreshadowing of what God is doing with his bride first before he does this for Israel? I believe there will also be a foreshadowing of Satan being bound. I don't know if he'll be cast to the abyss. I kind of have a feeling that he will be paraded around heaven. As in victory. Being placed in chains. But the point is, he will not be here. He will not have access to do anything more here against the bride, or against the world, for that matter. I don't know how long that will be. It will be a taste of what is coming in the thousand-year reign. It will be a foreshadowing just like everything else. And the destroyers will be destroyed. That seventh trumpet... is the answer to what kind of started this whole thing for me years ago. Lord showed me a verse, and I've shared it with you a thousand times, Revelation 3.9. Showed me a verse and started to get me to understand this verse, and, and I want to take you to it again. Because again, where we are right now, you are going to be tempted not to believe everything that you have been told by God. So what do you do when you know temptations are coming or doubt is coming? You fill your mind with truth. You fill your mind with his word, what he says. Nobody else, what he says. That backs up what he has said to his children. So I want you to go to Revelation chapter 3. And I'm just going to read the whole letter to the Church of Philadelphia, and then we'll go back to verse 9 again. Revelation 3, verse 7 says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. In other words, he is the guard at the door. Nobody gets past, nobody gets in, nobody gets out. Except through him. I know your works. Talking about the church of Philadelphia. Behold, I've set before you an open door. Which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word. And have not denied my name. Wow. If that is not a reference to the remnant bride right now. I mean, think about it. We have absolutely no power. In fact, there are very few of us that even have a voice. But isn't it more important to have a voice before God? See, the bride right now, the remnant bride, those in relationship with him, have very little power. They are being described here. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make, and this is the verse, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Now here's another clue, because let let me just give give you... a clue here. That has never happened. Verse 9 has never happened. Ever. Since the church started at Pentecost, that has never happened. In fact, it's been the opposite of that. The church has been under persecution. That's never happened. Then verse 10, 
Another promise. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. That's the key. You say, well, wait a second, we're in trial right now. I mean, we're in trial. These are tough times. Everything's going wrong. Everything's coming against the church. Yes. Because the judgment right now, the justice that is being played out right now is for the bride. It's not for the world. Trust me, the world will fall in line. They will have no choice. Because the bride, Christ through the bride, will rule with a rod of iron. They will have no choice. They will be subdued. They will always have a choice to choose Christ. But trust me, in the reading of the bride, just like in the thousand-year reign, nobody is going to be forced to believe in Jesus Christ. That's not why Jesus comes to rule. He will never force somebody to believe in him. He will never force somebody to accept him as Savior, as Messiah. He will never do it. He will never infringe upon your free will right to choose, ever. But what you see in the thousand-year reign and what will happen in the foreshadowing of that with the bride is him ruling with a rod of iron. Meaning he rules with absolute authority. He rules with his love. The world will fall in line. If I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole, but if you want to understand more about that, do some research on the thousand-year reign. Because it'll be the same in the foreshadowing of that. Right? Kings will literally come to Jesus, and if they don't, they get no reign. In other words, if they don't come to him and pay homage to him, whether they believe in him or not as Messiah, if they don't come, they don't eat. They don't have prosperity. Talking about in the thousand year reign. But what it says here, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. The entire world, meaning those who do not believe. The world who has not chosen him. If you read through Revelation, Revelation is not a judgment on Israel. It's a judgment on the world for the sake of Israel. That's the same thing that's happening now, except it is point, that judgment is pointed to the bride. Think of it this way. The bride is being judged for the sake of the remnant. For the sake of those who love him in relationship with everything that they are. But notice in verse 10, it says, you will be kept from that. I will keep you from the hour of trial. I will keep you from that trial. So the church, who is built in this remnant to loving him, to giving him everything, will not be kept on this earth to face the judgment in regards to the world for Israel's sake. That again is a reverence to the rapture. In other words, the church is not going to be here. That ready bride is not going to be here at the time that the world is judged for Israel's sake. That's what it says. That goes back to the seventh trumpet being God taking his children to be with him. It says, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and out of my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Remember, the letters were not written to the Jews. 
the letters were written to Christians. They were written to churches, both Jew and Gentile. Because the bride of Christ are those who accept him as Savior. They're not seen as Jew or Gentile. They're not seen as black or white. They're seen as his children. So understand what is going on at this time, this grand mystery that Paul talks about. He wants us to know this mystery. And I I was going to go into... I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into that right now because that'll that'll open up a whole bunch of other stuff. But I want you to be encouraged with what's going on right now. In this reading of the bride, it's going to look like we're losing. It's gonna look that way. Why do I say that? Because he told us that. He told us that it would look that way. He told us we'd be tempted to not believe everything that he's told us. But he wants us to stand. I can tell you this, that we are not to agree with the enemy in any way. We are not to agree with his plan in any way. Those who fall into agreement with his plan will neither be used nor have any position in his kingdom. They can't. Because our payment is faith. That's the only thing we can pay. That's the only thing that the Lord said pleases him, is our faith to believe Again, I don't know how he'll do it. have no clue. But I can tell you that Donald Trump is our president. He is. I don't know how that's going to come around. And I'm sure we'll be beat up for that. Don't care. Because truth is truth. Lord said he's going to do something new that we've never seen. So I really think that there's two things going on. I do believe there's something going on in the government. There's a lot of swirling of a lot of junk, right? Maybe there's portions of truth in there. Maybe not. I don't know. I do believe, though, that there is something going on in in the government, that is in play, that God is using to be in play. But rest assured, that is different. I mean, God's doing that too, but that's different than what he said when he said, I'm doing a new thing. You won't know what it is because you can't even, you won't even know what to expect. So I don't know what it looks like. I don't know even what's going on in this country when that looks like. I just know what the Lord has said. And for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will believe him. We will not change just because the world tells us to. And any church, any pastor that now feels like they're supposed to support this new administration? I just feel sorry for you. You are walking on dangerous ground. Very dangerous ground. Because he will prevail. He will prevail and it will show that it was him. To those who would believe. And it's not going to be long. It's not going to be long. It's not going to be four more years and then Donald Trump gets in there four more years. And by the way, it's also not about Donald Trump. It's not about him at all. He is a tool of God, like many other tools of God that will be used. But he does lead 
or has led a movement in this earthly realm. God is going to do something special there. And we're going to get to see it all unfold. But you have to give him your faith. Just believe. Just trust. Just be encouraged that God has not left you. That he has not forsaken you because, oh, you know, now it's just too tough. Just believe him. Just pour out your full faith and watch what unfolds. Because it will come come to pass. And it will come to place. So let's come on up. Um, I'm struck by what Greg prayed at the beginning of the message this morning, which is let there be confusion for those that will not hear and let those that have an open heart hear. And um, I just, just wanted to comment on the passage in Revelation when it says, he that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. There is... Um, There's an interesting way to hear that allows you to actually not just listen to what's being said, but actually hear it and grasp it, that is able to come about because you're hearing from a lens of a Berean, an open heart, not with all the presuppositions of what you already know to be true, and I'm only listening for agreement with what I know I already believe but rather just saying, I'm open. And I don't mean open in the sense that I'm willing to receive any wind of false doctrine. I'm saying that open heart that knows the Lord Jesus so personally, that when you're looking at scripture, you're open to seeing another depth of meaning there that um, God can take you deeper. And not because man describes it differently, but because literally the Holy Spirit unlocks it. And there's this, um, there's this phrase that's floating around about shame on you for giving false hope in a situation just because it's something you want or you believe or that you're not willing to accept, especially in things like the election. And I will tell you, I just feel like I want to state uh, very clearly the hope that Ignition Church gives is in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. This is the hope upon which we stand. This is the rock, the foundation. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus. Now, when you have that hope in Jesus and you have relationship with him and you have actual communication with him, then comes the things that he says to us. And we don't get to pick and choose. We go to the word. We go to the word for the agreement because all his word will always agree with what he says in Holy Spirit utterances to us. But the hope is in the Lord alone. And I can only imagine the relationship that Noah had with the Lord and talking, talking with God and being a righteous man. And then suddenly God gives him a word about building a boat. I mean, you know, sometimes when you put things like that in context with the modern day situation, that wasn't something culturally acceptable. It wasn't anything that was already being spread around and sprinkled around in conversation with any of his circles. It was a brand new word from the Lord And God proved his voice and showed him to be faithful. And it was for the way that God was going to use Noah. And so spreading false hope about something like the election is is just crazy because we didn't... If the Lord literally spoke to us and said something different... In, you know, from the beginning, we would go to his word and, and he would prove it out and we would follow that. It has no, no bearing on who a person is or what we think we want. And a person who hears with a childlike heart to the Lord will be able to hear that said today in the message. And yet those who have a lot of presuppositions about 
what we think or what we stand for are not going to hear that, and they're going to hear a whole lot of things, which is why he said we may get beat up for that. Um, but if you're hearing clearly, uh, I hope what you've heard from the message today is that you seek the Lord with all your heart. You love him with all your heart. You enter into relationship with him that allows you to hear his voice. And then as you do a deep dive in his word, the Holy Spirit illuminates truth and proves things out. And you find that some of this mystery and some of these things that are new have actually been... um, Even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is in the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is in the Old Testament. I think I said it backwards. Revealed. Uh, It's an interesting phrase. I think I messed that one up. It's backwards. But God is the same. You know, we just read this in the scripture. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it isn't just that we're spending time on some Old Testament prophecies and why don't you just get into the New Testament with what God is saying and all this judgment stuff and the stuff you're talking about isn't going to come until the revelation. No, it is. Jesus Christ is on every page of the Word of God. He is his whole word. You have to read the whole of the word of God. And, and that, I remember, thank, thank you, mother. My own mother taught me that, that always um, see the, the entirety of the word of God. But then you have to really believe for the entirety of the word of God. And so, um, so this is a, a lot of deep things that he mentioned. I could see where he was using restraint to not go down certain rabbit holes of uh, direction. But um, God is so awesome and if you have an ear in purity, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. That is that is our heart's desire. Just hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. Not what everybody else is saying. Um, you will notice that what other people are saying is also what the Holy Spirit is saying. But you look to God first. You look to God. You look to his word. That is the rock upon which we stand. And, and he will prove it out. But that's the only way to stay constant. Otherwise, we really will be tossed to and fro um, like the waves of the sea. And, and it, it's been pretty wavy, pretty crazy. Um, and there's a lot of people who are getting tossed around. They, some of them can't handle it anymore, and they're literally pulling out of their walk with the Lord altogether. And it's really interesting. It's, you've, I've been seeing what people are made of in the depth of their relationship with the Lord because of how they respond to the intensity of things. Um, but be careful, like he said, what your agreements are. And doesn't mean you don't pray, don't, you don't stop praying, but don't pray your complaints and your worries to the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit what to pray so that you're praying in agreement with his will, just like in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which means your will, your will is what I want to declare. I don't, and that's what he meant, when he, Greg, when he said, you know, to get into a place of now congratulations and an agreement that, well, this is what we have, so I'm just going to now pray for the best of what God. No, you can stand firm that what is happening, it, it, that God will show you what is happening is not his will, not his plan, and you can stand firm against it. And um, pray according to this, pray in the Spirit. And if you're not sure what to pray, just continue to pray God's will be done. And that the evil uh, be, uh, be crushed and, over, and overturned to righteousness. And that's all through the Psalms. But just want to encourage you in that. I want to pray right now as we close. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for this measure of faith that you give us. That as we grow in relationship with you, we'll grow and grow. And give us the confidence that we can hear your voice. That we can hear your voice and, and know that it's your spirit that will guide us into all truth as we seek you in your word. You said if we seek you, we'll find you. And so, God, as we seek you with a pure heart, as we lay down anything and everything that we think we know, that we'll be able to have you reveal deep truths and deep revelations. Help us to be careful, as Jesus said to his disciples, be careful how you hear. Because if we don't hear with an open heart that's trusting in you alone, then how in the world can we absorb verses like Ephesians 3.20 when you tell us that you are exceeding abundantly above, you're able to do exceeding abundantly above the things we wouldn't have even dared 
to ask or think about. God, if we don't know you and your voice, then those things, when they're presented to us, will be rejected on their face. Because there'll be things that we'll put in the category of, they can't be you, because it's nothing I've ever heard. As if arrogantly, we've actually heard everything there is to hear. God, help us to just know that we know you, that we know Jesus, that you are our advocate, the lover of our soul. That is what takes the confusion and the angst out. You said to be careful, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with our thanksgiving, with our worship. Make our request to you, and then you exchange that Petition and prayer to you with a peace that passes all understanding that will keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. God, I just pray that for your people. I pray that for the remnant. I pray that for ignition that in the name of Jesus we would hear your voice and know it so clearly that we reject the enemy's voice. But not in our own understanding. Because for you who promised are faithful. You are faithful. Great is your faithfulness. We love you, God. We love you, and I pray that you'll take this word. We know that when it is your word, you will not return void. So take it and let it spring forth, a harvest, God, of of your plan and your will to be done on this earth as you have already deemed it to be in heaven. We pray these things in the mighty, holy, awesome name of Jesus. Amen.